Welcome to SolveCast. This is Dana Williams, and it's a pleasure to welcome Jonathan Miller. He is the co-founder with his family in 1986 and CEO of Miller Samuel Real Estate. Jonathan Miller, appraisal and consulting firm. Their market reports are the reports of record for several national markets, including New York City. Frequently quoted in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and other news outlets, it's been said that Jonathan keeps the industry honest. Frankly, his credentials are too long for this time we have together. I encourage listeners to visit millersamuel.com and sign up for his very informative weekly housing notes and his matrix blog. So I want to get kind of right to the topic, Jonathan, which is the effect of our remote lives during COVID on commercial and residential real estate. Obviously, it's a hot topic. I read recently in Newsweek that 83% of CEOs want employees to return in person, but only 10% of employees want to return full time. This is after major companies. You even covered it in your latest housing note about Google bringing back employees this summer and making it mandatory as of September. So can you talk about, to put it in perspective, we're going to begin with commercial talk about what was happening before COVID to commercial real estate, if you could. Well, first of all, Dana, thank you for having me on. And it's a pleasure to join you here, which this discussion I think is pretty important. Commercial real estate essentially paused or with the lockdown, the pandemic, it all of a sudden was tested that companies found that remote work actually worked to a certain degree. It wasn't perfect. And and so there was this immediate assumption that cities were dead and it was all about the suburbs or living out in the country somewhere, out countryside somewhere. And I think what we're learning through this is, yes, it works, but it falls short of it's difficult to mentor, to create corporate culture, et cetera. The point you're making about companies, CEOs wanting people back and employees not coming back is very true. And we can see that in New York and other markets where companies are calling or won't be really calling back employees en masse until about September. So right now you have office towers that are 80% empty. And that is not the way it's going to end up. I look at remote now as before the pandemic, it was about 5% of corporate America was 100% remote. And now we're talking about it doubling or tripling, which is 10 or 15%. However, the next cohort, the next 50% are not going to be going in five days a week. They're going to be going in some variation of that. Four days a week, three days a week, two days a week, and then the other time they'll be working remotely. I think that's going to be embedded into the commercial real estate world. So how do you see it affecting the commercial real estate world? I think that retail was already affecting commercial real estate. If you could just speak to that a little bit before COVID even began. Sure. I I think it's been no secret that we have a pre-COVID, we have 
excess retail. To go even further, there were lots of studies that malls in suburban America, about 20% of malls over the next five years are going to be gone and could be even more than that. doesn't mean malls are going away. It just means we have too much supply. We have one out of pre-COVID on Fifth Avenue, one out of four retail stores in were empty or spaces were empty on Fifth Avenue in the prime locations up near Central Park. All those are a symptom of supply. And and that world has changed. The one thing, though, that you're going to see right now is that many uh, cities have an optics problem where the cable news TV pans across Times Square and they see all the boarded up retail. Well, that's because 80% of the office towers are empty and will not be empty in the next six months. And that'll breathe life back in, but it's going to be at lower rates and a different type of tenant that will be coming in. Commercial rents, the other impact is commercial rents have been and will fall significantly. And the upside to that is that I think it what it ends up doing is bringing some sort of youth renaissance into the market in terms of younger companies that were priced out of expensive central business districts will be coming in. And we're seeing that with the residential rental market as well. You have the demographics shifting to lower lower wage earners than before, which will change many aspects of the city. Definitely. So did COVID speed up what was already happening? I, I think that's a great way to put it. COVID was clearly a disruptor. And so COVID made Zoom or similar technologies ubiquitous in 24 hours when it might have taken 10 years. And the issue of massive ex- the massive problem of excess retail, that also would have played out in slow motion. So I think there was a quick reset in pricing in both retail and commercial and residential as a result of COVID. And it's not clear. We're still, over the next few years, going to figure out how human behavior is ultimately going to respond. I mean, right now we're at peak Zoom. It's 100%. It's not, we're not 100%, but we're dominating people working remotely, you know, dialing in, et cetera. That is not going to be the norm, nor will the way it was pre-COVID be the norm. It's somewhere in between, and I think human beings have to figure it out, and I think that's going to take the next couple of years. It's going to be very interesting to see if even employers like Google will be able to force what people have already been able to you know, change their lives around. Well, I think, but I think collaboration doesn't work on Zoom. And maybe it will, maybe there's a way to do that. But at least as a stance right now, just this isn't a scientific fact, but my own experience is when I hire new staff, it is almost impossible to really train them because they're not immersed They're not overhearing all the problem solving that's going on with more experienced workers in the same profession. And this is a shortcoming of remote. So it is not the panacea here. It's just something that was a stopgap and it is going to be embedded into our work culture, which therefore impacts commercial and retail real estate indefinitely. And and perfect segue and residential. Yes. Yeah, it really has. It's 
Has it surprised you considerably, Jonathan, how much it has impacted? I mean, has this last year shocked you about real estate residential? Well, it's less about COVID and it's more about the plunge in mortgage rates nationwide or worldwide, but nationwide that has caused this massive demand for housing. But at the same time, lenders are not morally flexible as we would think of them during the housing bubble where credit conditions are actually about 20% tighter than long-term norms. So as we go through this housing boom, we're not looking at a banking crisis at the end of it, which is a far cry from what we went through more than a decade ago. So it is, I think when we get to the point, actually affordability is still not even though it's hard to believe affordability because of the plunge in rates is not at all-time lows. It still has a ways to go. And one of the problems we're seeing nationwide, not just we're seeing it in the New York metro area and we're seeing it, we're starting to see it, well, we're seeing it everywhere except for Manhattan. If you pick up, if you really get specific, is a complete lack of supply. And part of that's been exaggerated by COVID because you do have an iteration of potential demand that just doesn't want strangers walking through their properties yet until we're further along in the recovery from the uh, pandemic. Yeah, I heard an expression for the first time, which is FOMO, the yeah. fear of missing, missing out. out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. it's huge. And it shows you how much herd mentality, herd not applying to vaccine, but just herd mentality is that there is almost a panic in that regard. But it's not, the banks are not losing their minds in terms of, yes, on the margin, you see things, but generally speaking, and that's the sort of saving grace. What's really interesting, if you look at the growth of mortgage volume versus housing prices in the U.S., and then you look at the same thing in Canada. Canada is, is seeing much more leverage on the their housing boom than we are. And that was just the opposite that led up to the financial crisis. So maybe banks learn their lesson. I'm not sure. But it is definitely a very robust real estate environment. As but are, do, you have do you have concerns about a housing bubble? I was reading about the house price to rent ratio, that something to pay attention to. Could you explain a little bit about what that is? And sure. sure. It's the relationship between what a house will rent for and what it would sell for. And specifically in Manhattan, it's at the highest I've tracked since 1994 when I began tracking it. And in the U.S., it's also at a record high. It's higher than during the housing bubble. And what that means is that the conversion of a, the rental income into value is at an all-time high. And that so the concern would be, is that a bubble? My thinking is that it could actually get even higher and the sort of the my my rationale is that there is a greater value now placed on occupancy. And that's this whole argument about having more space. If you're, if we get another pandemic, not being locked into a smaller space. So it's interesting. It is something to watch, but inherently around the world, we're in a low inflationary environment. There's been concerns about inflation. Mortgage rates actually 
had trended up recently and now they're trending down. I'm not a big believer over the next couple of years that rates are going to go anywhere. And and so as a result, I think housing prices are going to rise so much that demand will fall. And then what should happen is then prices flat level off or, or slide. That's how it's supposed to work. And there's supposed to be an ebb and flow in housing, it's just not straight up like a rocket ship for a hundred years, and but we'll see. But not a bubble. I don't find the word bubble as an appropriate descriptor, and one of the reasons for it is that I think most people's impressions of a housing bubble or recession, or recessionary or economic pro- problem period, was formed during the housing bubble, where leverage enabled a tremendous run-up in prices. Uh, here, the run-up in prices is driven by a lack of supply, and it's not caused by f- what I would argue would be financial engineering by Wall Street, right. liar, lo- liar loans and no doc, any other types of things that were made to subvert the underwriting process. That's why I had said earlier that underwriting is about 20% tighter by banks than it was pre-housing bubble. Right. And you've brought this up before is people own more of their homes now. So yes, there's people have more equity than they have Mm -hmm. had before. And so while it's uncomfortable and you're seeing things, bidding wars ratcheting up and a lot of this sort of frenzied activity, but for example, loan portfolios by Fannie and Freddie Freddie, the the government-sponsored enterprises that a great deal of our mortgage volume flows through in the U.S., they have the highest credit scores in their history. Mm. So the quality of loans is very high as well. So that's why I think we'll be back to the old days when prices get too high, people won't buy and they'll have to reset. And that's what what I suspect we're going to see a few years from now. Very interesting. I think so many of us are scarred from the housing recession. (laughs) We go there, but you bring up really excellent points, obviously. But I just, I'm wondering about the relationship there is between workers having to go back to the office and this exodus from urban areas and how that will, how they affect each other. Sure. So there was a really good Fed study a few, about a year or less than a year ago, the Cleveland Fed, that talked about this urban outbound activity mm-hmm. and and found that the decline in or the increase in migration numbers wasn't, wasn't solely be from people le- leaving. It really was people not coming into the city because of fear of or safety for health reasons, that there was this sort of label attached to urban markets that high density means high chance of infection. And in New York, one thing I've been saying since the early days of the lockdown was the infection rates in New York, Manhattan saw the highest outbound migration, the sort of narrative in air quotes, fleeing the city. And, and, but the, what, what's missing has been inbound migration because of the fear of safety. And this is what I'm calling a V-shaped recovery, which is V for vaccine, that, that vax, the increase in the vaccine is expanding the inbound migration of the city, which makes net bound, net migration 
less negative. And that's been the half of the equation that's been missing across the country. We're actually seeing that cities aren't dead. There's not some sort of permanent structure, structural change, other than some modification due to the ability for remote working. However, when we think of Zoom or any kind of remote technology, we stereotype it as if you work in the city in a central business district, then if you're going to Zoom, that means you must be living in the suburbs. But if you're in Manhattan, there's going to be just as many people remote working from the Upper East Side as there will be from Westchester County. I mean, it is that's not the way to, to think of it. The think of it is, is physically being in the office doesn't imply that you're going to be in the suburbs and not in the city. Mm-hmm. That's, again, part of this default sort of mistaken narrative of fleeing the city in the early days of the pandemic. Definitely. I think also it will be interesting to see who these people are that are coming back into the city. Do you have any indication of who that? Well, all we know right now is that they're less less wealthy, right? That the the youth renaissance that we're seeing come in, or that's what I'm calling it, is clearly a younger demographic and is not as wealthy. They're coming in because there's been significant drops in rental prices because would-be renters fueled a lot of these suburban sales demand. They became first-time buyers in the suburbs, again, drawn by mortgage rates plunging to record lows after having already fallen for the last couple of years before COVID, and then doubling down and falling even further, created this insatiable demand that inventory has not been able to keep up with. One most important point about this is Mm -hmm. that When you think about the demand, that there was this thought that, and I've written a lot about this, that that it was a zero-sum game, that the city's gain in in 2021, where we're starting to see sales exceed year-ago levels for the first time, comes at the suburban market's expense, and that's absolutely not happening. Both are rising significantly, and I think the way to think of it, rather than a a, this push-pull relationship is that the inbound that's coming into the suburbs and the city isn't just coming from each other. It's coming from other parts of the country, other parts of the world. And just remember, cities right now, there's the travel bans or advisories with COVID. That is still a thing. And also, you're just immigration policies. All Mm -hmm. those things have been restrained, which leaves a lot more upside for urban markets going forward. So maybe a return of the middle class, which was such a complaint pre-COVID. Yeah, it's certainly a possibility. There's Mm -hmm. been comparisons to the U.S. after World War II with Mm post-pandemic with low rates, housing shortages, rising wages. I mean, there's a strong parallel with that. And so if you think about all the federal stimulus that's coming into New York City metro or any city, budget holes were just filled. And and in fact, in New York City's case, the budget was increased instead of cut with the additional federal funding. And all that plays into helping the city get back, cities get back on its feet which this isn't a light switch. This is going to be a several-year process, but it, it's happening as we speak. 
So it's something that you're noticing, not just in New York, but in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, yes. same phenomenon. Yeah, I cover, for Douglas Elliman, I cover about three dozen housing markets across the U.S., Southern California, Colorado, Florida, Boston, New York Metro. And we're seeing it's almost the same behavior across all the markets where urban and suburban are growing. Urban is lagging suburban. They got a later start because the mis conception of or the the incorrect application of density to density bad therefore more exposure to covid which turned out to be it's a factor not a not the primary reason mm-hmm. and and it's an it's an it's just ta- it'll take a couple of years to play out so the i, I don't want to sound like i'm a cheerleader for urban i i think just that the 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 death of cities was the call for the death that cities are over was wildly premature and based on inaccurate assumptions. Exactly, but I do have. We are so going over our time, but I have so much to ask you. There is there is also the effect that it's had on rural life. Reading about how rural people are being. Uh, displaced. They can't afford to buy because so many people are moving from cities and purchasing, even if it's a second home. Yes, it's a big factor. I mean, if you look at, if you look at the change in commuting with remote, like I'd said earlier, where you have somebody that was going in five days a week, now maybe only has to go in two or three, they could very well have a commute that was much, much longer but they're commuting less. And mm-hmm. so as a result, the during the housing bubble, it was called the exurbs, the regions beyond the suburbs, but really getting into rural areas, like in New York Metro, that would be upstate Connecticut, the Hudson right. Valley, the Hamptons, all these markets are benefiting from people having more options about where they want to live. We're seeing a boom in Aspen housing, which is a uber luxury housing market, but it's not that people, it's a concept I call co-primary where they're not moving, they're not buying as a second or a vacation home or second home. They're buying more is what I call co-primary, which is they see it as the second primary residence that they could in theory live in their primary or their co-primary residence. And so markets like the Hamptons, which is a luxury second home market outside of New York, New York City, as it's become more co-primary, school enrollment has doubled. And so we're seeing that in other markets as well, small towns in Litchfield, Connecticut, way up state Connecticut that were very slow moving and quiet are booming because the price differential is substantial. And that's all remote. And remote is not going away. Just right now, it's overcorrected. And it's not going to end up being where it is right now. It's not going to be, as I say, we're at peak Zoom. It's not going to continue at that level indefinitely. I I like that terminology, peak Zoom. I didn't even know what Zoom (laughs) was a year ago. Neither Um, did I. I learned in about (laughs) 24 hours. 
Yeah, exactly. So again, I could ask you so much more, Jonathan, but there is one thing I'd like to ask you before you go. I really appreciate how you infuse your housing notes weekly with humor, but also (laughs) some really keen observations. And one I'd like to touch on, which is about the systemic racism in housing and something I hope to talk about in my uh, next opportunity with SolveCast. And so I have just one question. Is there one, one way that we could progress? I know you've criticized your own industry, the appraisal industry, for its lack of diversity, but what do you see as the inroad to progress? Right. So, so, so I view it as it's top-down, uh, top-down solution. Leadership in any industry has to raise the torch. It's not going to come from people in the trenches. One of the problems for your listeners uh, that I discussed in my industry, the real estate appraisal industry, is we're out of the 400 industries that are tracked by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. My industry is the least diverse. We're less diverse than ranchers and farmers. And the reason is, a big part of the reason is, our leadership is not diverse at all mm-hmm. and hasn't addressed or is not even aware or wasn't aware until people like myself and a handful of others or more than a handful have really brought this message out. So I think the biggest thing is being very public about it and bringing uh focus on diversity and leadership. Otherwise, there's no hope for a solution. Agree. Agree. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for your time. I oh, can't my pleasure. It was I delightful. It. I'm sure your time is in much demand these days. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Anytime.